Please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 21. Nina, we've been on a journey for a while in Acts, so we're in 21 now. I'm not sure how many of those you've heard, but it's good to see you. All of you. Let's have a quick summary and then we'll have a word of prayer. So last time we read almost the entire chapter 20. Um, and the, the subject was, after visiting the churches in Macedonia, probably Troas, Berea, Thessalonica, and Philippi, they're departing for Greece. And then they stay there for three months, encouraging the churches in Greece. And in that time, Paul probably wrote the, the book that we call First Corinthians. And remember, Paul's collecting money for the saints in Jerusalem. There was a famine going on in Jerusalem and a lot of people were very, very poor and had exhausted their resources trying to stay alive, really. And um, Paul is taking representatives from each area along with the money. And so there's no question whatsoever if he's on the up and up as it relates to all this money that people are giving him. Very wise, in my opinion. And listen, very wise. At at this church, Brother Edward and I do not know. We know the total amount of offerings that come in. We don't know who gives what when. And we don't need to. We don't need to. And we don't touch that money. There are deacons who have been given that job and who serve it faithfully, and we are not involved in that and don't need to be. And I think we learned it from things like this, where Paul is being very wise and making sure that there's not even an appearance of evil as it relates to, really, God's money. And Brother Hal, I think, this is in my brain and, and will be, as long as I have a sound mind, that when you give money to help with God's things, you're giving Him your time. You've traded your time for that money. And then you give the money to somebody to go do some work somewhere. And sometimes people people look down on that and they say, oh yeah, he gives a lot of money, but he's not really that great of a guy. Like, Well, he's given a lot of his time to that effort. Anyway, when you give, and and this is why it's a responsibility of the church to do good things with it. It's God's money. People have sacrificed their time to give that money. We should use it well. And I think we do. I think we do. So he has representatives, Paul does, from each area. Lots of witnesses there. And also, listen, practically, it's easier to be safe from robbers and bandits in the night if you have eight guys with you versus one or two, right? I mean, you've got a group there, or potentially even more than that. And they set out toward Jerusalem. We read about a meeting that they had, and the Bible says that this meeting happened on the first day of the week. This is the first time this phrase is mentioned, the first day of the week. They were meeting not on the Sabbath, 
Saturday, not the end of the week. They were meeting on Sunday, the first day of the week. It's the first time it's mentioned. And they broke bread and Paul preached. And we read about a certain Eutychus. I, didn't, I don't know if I told you all this, but that name means lucky. And Eutychus was unlucky, I guess. But really, in God's sovereignty, this man was listening to a long sermon. I don't think the implication is is that he was bored. He was very sleepy. He fell asleep while sitting at the window, fell out the window from high up, and was pronounced dead. And Paul goes down there and prays over him and heals him. He rises from the dead. God's power is with Paul. It's a miracle. I I sometimes want to be there and see exactly what happened. I mean, if you fall off from a high thing, from anything high up, there's going to be not just like you're dead, but you look normal, right? Your body is going to be bruised and broken and bloody and terrible. And I want... Wouldn't it be something to see? Paul goes down there and heals him. Well, does he still have blood on him? Or does it, the blood disappear and everything goes back to normal? I don't know. But he was dead and now he's alive. And the text says, And they went home with the man rejoicing because he was alive. And then we read that Paul goes on to a town or city called Miletus. Just close to Ephesus, but he doesn't want to go to Ephesus because it's going to dis- it's going to distract. It's not the right word. It's going to delay his trip to Jerusalem. There's so many people in Ephesus that he knows and loves, and they're going to to hinder him from getting to Jerusalem quicker. But he does want to talk to the elders of the Ephesus church before he goes back. So he calls them to meet him in Miletus. And if you remember, that was most of what we talked about last time was his preaching to them. That he he reminded them, when I was with you, I served, you know, I served in humility and with tears and trials. I didn't hold back the word, any of it, even if it was hard, I I gave it to you straight. If y'all get sideways on your doctrine later, it's not because I failed to teach you the right doctrine. You're choosing to depart from the sound teaching that I've given you. This is part of Paul's message. I preached faithfully. I worked hard at it. You know. That's basically what he preached to them. And then he says some things about his future. I know some heavy stuff is going to happen to me. When I take this collection to Jerusalem, the Spirit testifies in every place that I go that something bad is going to happen to me in Jerusalem. And you, would, you might think, well, Paul, why, why won't you get the message? Don't go. If the Spirit's telling you in every town that beatings and chains and punishment awaits you in Jerusalem, Don't go to Jerusalem. We'll talk about this today. This is is, um, 
a potential problem as it relates to prophecy that we, we need to discuss. But he says, I, I know something bad's going to happen to me, but my life is not mine. My life is not mine. I want to and I need to deliver this collection of money to Jerusalem. I know that it's God's will. I'm, if, if that's the end of my life, I'm willing to spend my life on it and fulfill my ministry. And if you remember, that was part of what Jesus told when Paul is blinded and he calls the man to go to Paul and he says, I don't know, that Paul guy's a rough guy. He's, he's like killing Christians. I'm not going there. And, and he is told by Jesus, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. For before Paul is even, even starts his ministry, while still blinded, this is already in the mind of God for Paul. Part of his ministry is to suffer. And we say, what, what a terrible thing. Is it? Jesus suffered. If we're going to be like our Lord, we will suffer. It is part of the journey. Well, Paul says, I'm going. Yeah, I don't know what's going to happen, but if they kill me, so be it. It's, it's the fulfillment of my ministry. But he warns them, but when I leave, stay true to God's teaching. Watch out, wolves are coming. He gives them a warning saying, even some people in this church will be the, some of the wolves. Watch out. Shepherd the flock. This is a message he's giving to the elders. Take care of God's church. Jesus died for it. He purchased it with his own blood. And then the last part of chapter 20 was a discussion of money as it relates to elders. Paul saying, don't be greedy. Don't be lazy. Work hard. Help the weak. And he reminds them of a teaching which... I didn't realize this until I studied for it last time. The saying, it's better to give than to receive, is the proof text for it is this verse. It's not anywhere else in the scriptures. It, this, Paul refers to a teaching of Jesus that we don't have anywhere else. It's better to give than to receive. <clears throat> and everyone's sad because Paul's leaving and he tells them, you won't see me again. I'll see you in heaven, but this is the last time I'm going to see you. And everybody's sad, and they pray and depart. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for um, this group of believers that you've gathered together. Thank you that you've um, worked in our minds and in our hearts and, and showed us the beauty, your beauty the beauty of the Lord. Increase our love for you. We we love you, Lord, but we know we should love you more. Help us as we read your word. Uh, Our desire is to um, study at your feet humbly, to listen, to try to understand the scriptures, 
And we know with the Holy Spirit in us that you'll help us. Please help us. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we'll read 1 through 26 of chapter 21. My Bible has a title that says, Paul Goes to Jerusalem. And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Manson of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. Verse 17. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed? They were all zealous for the law, and they have been told about you, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. 
Take these men and purify yourself along with them, and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men, and on the next day he purified himself along with them, and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of the purification would be fulfilled, and offering and the offering presented for each one of them. <clears throat> There's really not a good place to stop. If we wanted to go to the right place, it would be <laughs> halfway through chapter 23. So we're going to have to stop there. But <clears throat> Okay, so what's happening here? They've set sail... They go, um, we are told, passing by Cyprus, with Cyprus being on the left. So if they're sailing across the Mediterranean, and they're going east, and they pass Cyprus, so let's say I'm going east, and Cyprus is on my left, then that's north, right? And so... When they had come in times past and they went to Cyprus to preach the gospel there, they had um, come through and then set sail out of the port of Cyprus on the far west. But they didn't stop here this time. They just passed it by with Cyprus being on the left. And they arrive at Tyre because the boat that they... It seems like they hitched a ride on the boat. This isn't a passenger boat. It's a cargo ship that also takes people. Um, and so they arrive at Tyre, the ship unloads its cargo, they stay there seven days. Verse 4, the, through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. And we need to discuss this, because it seems like we've got two, two plans that are being revealed by the Spirit, and they're not the same plan. His friends are saying, by the Spirit, I'm telling you, you shouldn't go there. And Paul is saying, God's leading me there. Well, somebody's wrong. Aren't they? Can the Spirit both say go and don't go at the same time? And I think what's happening here, well, it's, it's a little bit mysterious. Are they prophesying? And if they are, why is their prophecy not true? If they're saying, I foresee, I'm prophesying, bad things are going to happen to you, don't go. And Paul's saying, no, it's God's will for me to go. Why are y'all making me upset? You trying to make me cry? God wants me to go there. I think what's happening with these others is that the Spirit is warning them or telling them that bad things are going to happen and they are concluding the Spirit doesn't want him to go there. Incorrectly concluding. Incorrectly interpreting the prophecy or the leading of the Spirit. I'm not sure though. This is, there, there is a discussion to be had, and I'm not sure where I stand on this discussion. 
about New Testament prophecy? And does it have to have the same standard as Old Testament prophecy? If you know what I'm talking about, this is how you'll know the man that I've sent. If the thing which he prophesies comes to pass, then you know I've sent him. If it does not come to pass, do not fear him. I have not sent him. So from what we understand from the old covenant is if you claim to be a prophet, you better be right. 100% accuracy is what you need because you're not guessing. God told you what was going to happen and you're relating to the people what he told you is going to happen. Follow me? Well, there's a discussion in the New Testament, not in the New Testament, but about prophecy in the New Testament. Does it always have that same standard? And it seems like perhaps not. There are times when people prophesy something and part of it happens and part of it doesn't happen. And I'm not sure I can, I'm not sure I understand how to explain that. Not that I'm not able to explain it to you, but I don't think I know. (laughs) We could talk about it. If somebody has something um, wise to say about it, I'd be glad to hear it. So, having said that, I think the Spirit is warning these Christians about their brother, but not telling them to tell him not to go. They're doing that on their own accord. I, I find it incompatible with the, with the will of God and the Spirit of God for the Spirit to tell some of them, tell him don't go. And then for the Spirit to tell Paul, go. That makes no sense. Why would the house be divided against itself? But I'm a man, I I don't know for sure. But I think that's what's happening. The Spirit is, is warning them correctly that Paul is going to be in danger. And they're concluding that means he shouldn't go. And the Spirit is saying don't go. But maybe it's just them saying don't go. Because if the Spirit is saying don't go, Paul needs to not go. He's disobeying if he goes. Which I don't think he is disobeying. So, it's interesting. So they leave there. And they go to Ptolemaeus. And they're greeted by some brothers there. And they stay there for one day. And the next day they go to Caesarea. Caesarea, Caesarea, and it's the closest port to Jerusalem. So it's a very strategic place. Um, And if you remember, that's where Philip, when it says one of the seven, one of the deacons from the very beginning of the church, when when the apostles are overwhelmed by the needs of all the new Christians, they say, we don't, this isn't right. We don't have time to preach. We need to choose some people to help manage this other situation that we don't have time for. And Philip is one of those early deacons. So they stay at his house. And you remember other things that happened to him, right? He met the Ethiopian who's reading Isaiah while riding through the desert. Um, He 
They stayed with him. Verse 9, this is interesting. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. This is a New Testament thing. Women prophets. God is blessing the church. His Spirit is with them. Both men and women have the sign of the covenant. Circumcision of the heart. Men and women. I, I reject the idea that Christians oppress women. That's folly. Well, some do, but not because the Bible teaches that. What the Bible teaches is freedom to the captives, both men and women. Equal in the kingdom of God. Both part of the bride of Christ. If the husband rejects God and the wife believes, she will not perish and he will. Many religions around the world, the salvation, whatever they believe that is, is tied to their obedience to their husband. If, if they don't stay in good graces with their husband, there's no entering into the afterlife. That is not the case with Christianity. Different roles. Both full members. Verse 10. They were staying in Caesarea for many days, and a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. This is the same prophet that prophesied a famine earlier. Um, and he has a similar um, revelation from the Spirit. He sort of acts out the prophecy. He ties up his hands and feet and he says, You see how I look? This is how you're going to look if you go to Jerusalem. They're going to bind you. And verse 12, I think this is Brother Luke speaking. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him, don't go. You don't have to go. Don't go. Verse 13, Paul says, I'm ready not only to be in prison, but to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 14, since he would not be persuaded, we ceased. We gave up. We said, let the will of the Lord be done. And that's kind of a funny phrase, right? The will of the Lord will be done. Whether you say it or not, it will be done. And if, if they were able to convince him, that would be the Lord's will. And since they weren't able to convince him, it's the Lord's will. And we could, let's, have a, let's have a two minute discussion of the will of God. There are two types of the wills of God. And I know this is not super easy, but God's will for the entire world is to repent and believe the gospel. He wants them to repent. They should repent. But he's in a different will, his secret will, he has not purposed that all will even hear the gospel, much less all of them be saved. 
There is a revealed will. Children, obey your parents. It's God's will for children to obey their parents. But in His secret will, they, they don't. They don't all. There's two types of wills of God. We can say, He, he wants to save the world. Which world? The world of believers. He wants to. But in His secret will... But let's put it a different way. His secret will is, He knows the day you're going to die. But He's not telling you what day it is. You don't know. He knows. It's a secret. There's two types of wills in the Scripture. It just depends on what, what you're talking about exactly. Verse 15, after these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us. And they went to the house of Nansen of Cyprus, an early disciple. And so they arrive in Jerusalem, verse 17. This is not the first time Paul and his folks have gone down to Jerusalem since he began his missionary journeys. Do you remember um, when there was a discussion in Antioch in Syria about that some people had come and said you must be circumcised in order to be saved. And Paul and Barnabas rejected that idea for Gentiles. They rejected that idea. And they said, no, we'll, we're going down to Jerusalem. And do you remember this? They had a council. They talked it out. And they said, okay, yeah, they don't have to become Jews to be Christians. But there's certain things, if they do it, it's going to offend the Jewish believers big time. And there's going to be a huge rift in the church. Can we just tell them, stay away from idols and blood and things that are strangled. And you can't have massive orgies in the church. Stay away from sexual immorality. It, it's bad anyway, but it's really going to be offensive to the Christian, the Jewish Christians. And they agreed at the time. The church in Jerusalem agreed. Letters are sent with them back to the church at Antioch to tell them, and everyone knows, okay, it's not required. Those brothers who were teaching... You must be circumcised. They were wrong. That, that wasn't right. So Paul's going back to the church there again in Jerusalem. Verse 17, they received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. This is the elders of the Jerusalem church. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. Can you imagine just going through all the stuff that we've gone through for the last 20 chapters? Amazing thing after amazing thing. Beatings, imprisonment, secret plots, people sneaking him out of town at night. I mean, a lot has happened. He tells them one by one the things God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. Verse 20, when they heard it, they glorified God as they should. Wow, what a thing God's doing. 
they didn't glorify Paul. They glorified God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews? Of those who have believed, they are all zealous for the law. This is still early on in the life of the Christian church. And there's, there's an awkward synthesis between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant that the Jews are trying to maintain. Maybe, maybe synthesis is the wrong word. They're trying to hold on to parts of it, even though they don't need to. There are certain things that they're doing. It's just cultural, right? This is what we do. We're Jews. We eat this kind of food. We do this on these feasts. It's cultural. It's not good or bad. It's just, it's cultural. Verse uh, 21. Here's, here's James's point. They have been told about you, that is, these that are zealous for the law, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. So the accusation is, when you go out to these Gentile places and you preach, you tell the Jews who live there, just live just like the Gentiles. Whatever you did before as a Jew, throw all that away and live like the Gentiles. That's the accusation. The letter that was sent abstained from you know, these, these big problems, sexual immorality, idols, blood. You're telling the Jews in those places that's all they got to do also. That's the accusation. Accusation against him. He says, They have been told that this is what you do when you when you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them, Yeah, you don't have to circumcise your kids. Don't walk according to those old customs. What then is to be done? Verse 22, they will certainly hear that you have come. So they come up with a, a plan. This is strange to me, but this is their plan. We're going to set up a situation where you'll go to the temple and dedicate yourself along with some others, and then everybody will say, oh, okay, no, he, he is still holding to the law. It's like, it's a ruse. Paul's not been doing the thing that they want it to appear that he's been doing. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there's nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Verse 26, Then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them, and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled, and offering presented for each one of them. <clears throat> so this is probably a Nazarite vow. This is often confused 
The reason why when there's pictures of Jesus, he always has really long hair. They're confusing Nazarite with Nazarene. He may have had long hair, but according to the Nazarite vows, they wouldn't cut their hair the entire time that the vow was going on. And, you know, whatever it might be, let's say, I make a vow, I'm going to be completely focused and dedicated on the Lord for 18 months. And I won't have a haircut for 18 months. And I'm going to the temple right now to tell them that I intend to keep this vow for 18 months. If y'all are interested in this, you can find it in Numbers chapter 6. Discussion about Nazarite vows. No wine, no grapes even. No dried, no raisins. And, and definitely a focus on staying away from things that would make you unclean. And so James and the, the elders in Jerusalem, their idea is make a Nazarite vow. And we have some with us. They'll do it with you. And you can all go there. Verse 26. He purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled. So he's telling them, we're, we're making a vow, and here's how long it's going to be. This is an interesting plan. I'm not sure I approve. I don't know if they were right to do this plan or not. I mean, we'll see that it doesn't work. We, we won't get to it today, but Paul is arrested within a week. Um, but we'll, we'll get there. I'm not sure if they're being innocent as doves and shrewd as snakes and just trying to avoid a problem. Or did they think, maybe if you really purify yourself, God will relent on the disaster He has planned for you? I don't think that's what their idea was. They're not accusing Him of being sinful. Just... They think you're bad. Let's try to make a public show that you're actually not bad. Maybe it'll work. It's kind of interesting. Well, listen, what do we take away from today's? I mean, we're, 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 this is to be continued. But Paul loves the Lord. And he knows that God's will for him is to suffer and to preach. And he's not... He's not cowardly he's not cowardly and we'll see in the upcoming chapters because he went to Jerusalem even though everyone was telling him don't go his opportunities for preaching to high people became numerous and frequent and profound and saying the gospel again and again and again in the, in the presence of many influential people and I, I have no doubt that that helped to advance the gospel as they took that to various places and recounted what happened. The Lord Jesus was believed upon more and more. Praise be to God. Let's, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for helping us to read it. Father, we confess that there are things we don't understand and we don't know if, if the text in our language is not clear or if our 
thinking is flawed and our interpretation is wrong, help us, Lord. Help us. We know that our brother Paul did go to Jerusalem. We know that he was he did not shrink back but was bold in preaching the gospel. Would you help us, Lord, that we would be bold, that we would be wise, that we would see how he responded to trials and suffering and persecution and plots and schemes, Lord, that we would learn and that you would bless us as we do that. Please help us for the rest of our time, especially having fellowship together. Would you help our conversation to be seasoned with salt, that we would lift each other up. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.